Welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. Thank you for tuning in through Spotify, iTunes, Podcast Addict. If you're watching on YouTube, please click that subscribe button and the bell for continued notifications so that you do not miss out on content when it releases here on YouTube. It's been good to be away, but it's even sweeter to come back. And I would suggest that that is one of the best uses of a family vacation. We were gone for two weeks doing what I call the America tour. I mean, we went from here in the Midwest, Kansas City, shot out all the way to California, but we made stops along the way. We stayed in Breckenridge, Colorado. We stayed in Salt Lake City and then made it to, uh, eventually made it to Grass Valley, went through Truckee over by uh, the Lake Tahoe there in kind of northern, mid-northern California, dropped down to Grass Valley and then went down to, oh, uh, What's that place called that's awesome? Um, the uh, Yosemite National Park. Great time. I've never seen anything like that um, in, in my life. I've uh, been to a lot of places, and that's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Uh, you got to spend some time there. You got to hike around. You got to go to the. You got to go to Yosemite Falls and things like that. I mean, just absolute gorgeousness and. Part of the reason I think it was so pretty is because of all the snow melt. I mean, there's all these like random little seasonal waterfalls that aren't there year round. Um, there's record level snow uh, right now, and so there's going to be record level snow melt uh, off of the mountains, and it's it's just fantastic right now. I'd encourage anybody if you're even in the area, go go to Yosemite. Um, we went down to Sequoia after that, stayed in a cabin for a few days. Um, and, and that was awesome. Then we went down to Anaheim, came back through Grand Canyon, uh, National Park, stayed right there on the rim and then, uh, hit Santa Fe, um, and then Dodge City. And then we were home. Yes. Uh, day before yesterday, we got home. So quite the, uh, quite the whirlwind adventure, but now it's time to get back into the saddle, right? And part of that is Actually, the main part of that is, um, you know, uh, getting back into the groove of things with regard to the church and tending to the needs of the church and getting caught up on on what's gone on since I've been gone and 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 so on and and that's always uh, that's always a, a somewhat of a challenge um, uh, because it takes time and and uh, to to get caught up on things and get back into the swing of sermon preparation and so on. Uh, but also to uh, talk about something else that's important and exciting coming up, and that is the Law and Gospel Missions and Evangelism Conference in Wamigo, Kansas. It's a free conference. Greg Kite uh, with Regenerated Radio, who's a pastor there in Wamigo, Kansas, Trinity Baptist Church, the church that's hosting the conference, is, uh, I think, in large part putting this on, along with the congregation there and his other Pastor Tony Mattia, uh, who I knew uh, before Greg uh, was called to the church, uh, but now Greg started this conference, uh, and and so I think it's going to be good. I'm I'm going to be the worst part of the conference, just to be completely transparent. Overshadowed by uh, Pat Abendroth, Dr. James Renahan, uh, Brandon Ray, and some others that are that I'm really excited to, to, uh, to see again in the case of Dr. Renahan, uh, but also to meet face to face in the case of Pat Abendroth and 
Stephen Atchison and uh, uh, Brandon Ray. So very excited for that conference, guys. Come. It's May 5th through 6th. Again, it's in Wamigo, Kansas. Free conference. You don't have to pay for anything except for your travel and your room and board when you get there. Um, and so uh, looking forward to seeing you there if, if indeed you're going to go. I think it's very worthwhile. Um, but one of the things that I'm going to talk about, I've got one message, and uh, that message is going to be um, given May 5th, the first day of the conference, and uh, I think that's right. And um, my, my message is going to be on the apologetic use of law and gospel, the apologetic use of law and gospel. You know, and when I, I don't like the conflation of the sciences. I think, you know, when we get into presuppositionalism, some, I'm not saying everyone does this, but every presuppositionalist, that is. Uh, but I think the tendency is to conflate the sciences, uh, to, to fold philosophy kind of up into theology and, and, and cease making the distinction between the two. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, in, in presuppositionalism, you know, you must presuppose basically articles of the faith, whether that be the inspiration, fallibility, the authority of the Holy Scriptures, or the triune God, uh, you have to presuppose articles of the faith in order to uh, know even natural things aright. Okay, so there's there seems to be a conflation there. It's, it's given to a conflation or a confusion of theology with philosophy. If by philosophy you mean uh, man's searching out uh, knowledge and wisdom through natural things, through the natural world. Um, and so I would want to make a, a careful distinction between uh, theology and philosophy on the one hand, not mixing them together, while we can bring philosophy into the service of theology. Nevertheless, those two things make are, are to be carefully distinguished. And so... When we talk about the the apologetic use of law and gospel, it's kind of a clunky, you know, uh, statement. The apologetic use of law and gospel. And the reason it's it's so clunky, in my view, is, you know, you can make moral arguments, and and we and we would see that as as apologetic. Uh, you can think of the moral the moral argument for the existence of God. Um. And and that's that's of course that's of course apologetic that would fall within the realm of of apologetics, um. And so there you could you could see how you know the law would play into it, uh, morality, ethics, law. But what about the gospel? Uh, because you can't you can't make a rational argument for an article of faith. Well, you can make a rational argument for an article of faith, but the rational argument would, would be founded upon yet other articles of faith, namely one of them being that the scriptures are the word of God. And so when we're talking about the apologetic use of law, that's not such a problem. But when we're talking about the apologetic use of the gospel, so as I as I'm thinking about this, and, and by the way, the statement that I said is clunky is my fault. Greg actually let me uh, suggest my own topic, and that's the one that I suggested. Now the reason I suggested that topic, uh, while the statement is clunky, I think it's still helpful, um, and I think the topic is helpful: the apologetic use of law and gospel. 
Maybe it would be better said the apologetic use of law unto gospel. All right, the apologetic use of law unto the gospel. And the reason for that is, I don't think as Christians we need to be afraid of engaging what we would call the natural law in the service of promoting and communicating the gospel to unbelievers. Here's what I mean. All men must be, not only under the condemnation of the law, we know that that's the case. All men are condemned by the law because all men are sinners fallen in Adam. But all men also must be convicted of their fallenness before God, according to God's law. That conviction can be persuasively thrust upon the conscience of the unbeliever through an appeal to natural law. So, um, you know, Ray Comfort was always so famous for walking unbelievers on the street through the, the moral law, through the Ten Commandments. Um, and he, he would always, and now I'm not, I don't agree with everything Ray Comfort did, but, but one of the things that I think he did well was he, whether or not he, he realized that this is what he's doing or whether or not this is how he would, he would say it, Ray was essentially, is essentially, when he does that, he's, he's appealing to the moral sense of the unbeliever. He's assuming that the unbeliever has a moral sense and so can come to a realization of their condemnation before God according to God's law, the law that's known through nature, which is natural law, which is the moral law. And so when you're talking to an unbeliever, you know, one of the things that you can you can ask them about before you get to the gospel is you can ask them about their moral lives, uh, their, their moral standing. And you don't ask them about their moral standing or their moral lives or the quality of their morality or ethics so that you can uh, then go on to say you need to do better. Uh, but actually, your, your goal should be to, to bring them to, in a sense, a, a place of hopelessness that there would be a sense of, wow, so, uh, so I'm toast because, because I've, because I've fallen short of all these, of all these laws. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I've, I've, I've fallen short of, of this righteous standard. But then you being the Christian don't then say, oh, but I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm also, you know, I, I'm not also in the same boat with you. I'm, I'm obeying the law and, you know, because I'm a Christian and blah, 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 blah. You don't go that way. You say, you say, yeah, you're toast. And I would be toast too. If it weren't for the free grace of God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the solution. So you, 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 you come to this point of hopelessness. This is in alignment with the, what's called the first use of the law which is condemnation, the condemnatory use of the law that uh, pricks the conscience of men along the lines of they have sinned and they deserve some form of cosmic justice. You know, you see this corrupted all over pagan culture, but in the corruption, you actually see something true. 
And the corruption would be something like karma, where, uh, you know, if you do this, uh, this or that, if you sin in this or that way, then, you know, that sin's going to be visited back upon you. And this is some, like, uh, blind, cosmic, you know, uh, rule or force that that ensures the, you know, uh, that ensures the karma. The, the truth about that is, is the, the sense that gets a pagan to say something like that. And the sense is, well, yeah, when I do something wrong, I deserve judgment, right? And, and, and of course, being that they're pagans and unbelievers, uh, rebels against God, they, they pervert the outflow of that and the application of that. And, and they say, well, this judgment comes in the form of karma, and it's a give-take relationship kind of with the world because they're pantheists anyways, and so, you know, so on and so forth. But, but there's a conviction there. The conviction is, to the extent I wrong somebody else, I deserve myself to be wronged. Or not wrong, but judged. That's true, all right? What a person needs to be shown is that this this retribution or this judgment that we all deserve on account of our sin leaves us with no hope in ourselves. And so whereas the person who wants to talk about karma would say, well, yeah, I just need to do better and then I'll receive less karma, blah, 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 and reincarnation will be great and, and I won't be turned into a pig, I'll be turned into a prince and so on and so forth. What a person needs to be shown is that once you violate the law, this law coming from a holy God, you violate and you sin against that which is infinite, God himself. And that what that does, and, and when you realize something of, because we can never comprehend all of it, but when you realize something of how far short we fall of the law, we should be brought to a point of hopelessness and despair, not absolute hopelessness or absolute despair, but abs- but but relative hopelessness and despair in the sense that we, we despair of ourselves, of all hope in ourselves. We, we can't do anything to, uh, to, to turn God's favor toward us. There's nothing we can do. There's, there, there's, there's someone else who has turned God's favor toward us apart from what we do. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that gets you to, so you, 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 you make an appeal to natural law. You bulldoze down all of the pride and you lay all that flat and you, and you stand sympathetically with them while you do that, by the way. You're not saying like, I'm the perfect law keeper. Here's the standard. You need to be like me. No, it's we both, we are both doomed. If it's up to us to keep this law, we're doomed at the outset. And, and you could, you could talk about Adam, the first Adam, but even if they, even if they don't want to talk about Adam, you just appeal to the moral sense and, and to the natural law. Now this is case by case. Sometimes you're going to have militant atheists who are going to deny all sorts of object, uh, objective morality you're gonna they're gonna deny a moral sense they're gonna deny all sorts of things um, but but sometimes you're gonna talk to people who indeed admit to that moral sense and 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 who indeed may even grant the existence of God
And in that case, it, it, it wouldn't be difficult to discuss shortfallenness, sinfulness, um, and so on, bringing both of you in the conversation to a cliff. Really, that cliff is uh, you do not have any hope in yourself. There's no reason to have any sort of hope in yourself or in anybody else because all people have sinned in this way. And that, that really leaves you with one option. Actually, it leaves you with two. Either you're going to be judged and you're going you're gonna to suffer the consequences. Or you're going to find refuge in someone who indeed has been perfectly obedient to the law of God, not subject to the to the uh, to the uh, generational sin from from Adam or original sin. You're going to seek refuge in someone whose whose righteousness stands before God in your place, and the only person that that could be is Jesus Christ. Um, and so I think I think there's actually a really powerful and and even compelling way again it's it depends on the situation and the person that you're talking with and engaging with i would i would submit to you that that on the mission field you're going to run into a, a lot more of this where the person and and i'm talking about international missions here where the person believes in god may even believe just in one god they might be polytheists too but and, and that's a different thing you're going to have to tailor your response but you're going to run into people who just generally accept god and even generally accept law. And they're going to realize they're imperfect. And usually what they'll do is they'll they'll invent some rescuing device like, well, I, I know I'm imperfect, but I try to be good, and God's going to look at that intent that I have to be good. Even amidst all my shortfallenness and my brokenness, God's going to look at my intent, my good intentions, and he's going to judge me on that basis. And the problem with that, of course, is that your intentions aren't always good. Every... Every time we sin, every time we fall short, uh, there are twisted or wicked intentions behind that falling short. Um, and, and so God's not going to judge us. Uh, if he did judge us on our intent, I mean, we would be doomed. We would be doomed. Uh, but instead, in, in Jesus Christ, our, our intent isn't judged. Um, our, our works, as pitiful as they are, are not judged don't come under judgment because we're in Christ. We're taking refuge in a a savior in a head, a surety, a mediator who has um, become a curse for us. And essentially that's saying that he has taken the fullness of what we deserve upon himself on the cross. And uh, that's his passive obedience, but he, up to that point, and even in that point, there's a there's an element of active obedience where God, where Christ has perfectly obeyed the law of God actively, and that righteousness is imputed to us freely without works. It's it's counted as our own, even though it's not our own, right? Because Jesus is our federal head; He stands to represent us before the Father. And so, uh, I I could see several ways in which you know, an appeal to natural law could turn into a really fruitful avenue to the gospel. And so that's what, you know, what I laid out for you here is not necessarily going to be the subject matter of the message at the conference, but uh, you, you can at least get a sense of what's going to be said. It's kind of like a, a, a synopsis, perhaps, or kind of a, a preview of where I'm going to go. 
Um, but then in terms of the other men that are speaking there, you're going to get great content. You're going to get some great content. There's just so much that's going to be covered and it's going to be, it's going to be fruitful. In the case of, uh, you know, there may be some names. I mean, most, most people who l- listen to this podcast probably know James Renahan and, and maybe Patrick Abendroth as well. Um, but like Stephen Atkinson, uh, Christian witness to Israel, he's the director of that ministry. The Christian Witness to Israel, uh, North America, and then uh, uh, Brandon Ray. So there's going to be some maybe new faces for some of you there, and and I think that uh, that's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully you guys are looking forward to it. The law and gospel, its import and missions and evangelism, it's it's going to be excellent. So Trinity Baptist Church, 16655 West U.S. Highway 24, Wamigo, Kansas, 66547. That is, again, Trinity Baptist Church in Kansas, in Wamigo, Kansas. It's a free conference. God bless you guys. Hope to see you there. Have a good one.